passages in the Bible, but we'll be coming back a lot to 1 Corinthians 11. So if you have a ribbon in your Bible, then put the ribbon there. If you have a bookmark or something like that, then that might be helpful to be able to get back to it quickly and easily. We've talked a lot about this idea of standards and convictions, and I've laid a lot of the foundation, a lot of the groundwork, and uh, just, I've, you know, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but I want to make sure that we understand uh, what we're going to talk about here tonight, what we're going to talk about going, going, going forward from tonight, but I, yeah, I just, I want to make sure that it's something that we're doing, not because I'm saying that it has to be done, uh, but because we understand it from the Word of God. And uh, even to those who already might hold to uh, strong standards and strong convictions, it's important that you understand why you do it. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's one of those things that if I can convince you to do it because, well, you know, I shame you into doing it or whatever else, then as soon as I'm not there, as soon as somebody else is in this position or as soon as you're somewhere else, then you can be convinced otherwise. If it comes from the Bible, if it comes from the Holy Spirit, then, uh, then that conviction is going to be something that lasts much, much longer. And as you know, I feel that holiness in our Christian lives is absolutely important, and it's that holiness that will drive us to live our lives as closely to the Word of God as we possibly can. Holiness is that, that inward grace that works its way outward. It doesn't stay only in the heart. It affects all of us. It affects all of a person. Uh, yes, God looks on the heart, but he also cares about our external visible appearance as well. And that's because he designed holiness to affect every single part of our lives. It's also because humanity measures us by what they can see. That's the visible part of our lives. Um, nobody can look inside your heart and see whether you're a Christian or not. But they can look on the outside and based on what you look like and based, away, based on the way you act and on the things that you say and how you speak and all of those other things, people are going to judge whether you really are a Christian or not. And so even though we're not supposed to look only on the outside, and yes, God looks at the heart, and yes, the heart is important to God, that's the way that everybody on the outside tells if we're a Christian or not. So some, some, some people may see this as majoring on the minors. Um, and honestly, I, I beg to differ with that. We, we've looked at over 150 different scripture passages up till this point on this topic. And I, so I don't, think, you know, I don't think we can say that it's a minor thing in the Bible, our appearance and the way we look and how that affects our heart and how our, fart, me, how our heart affects our appearance. But to say that this subject is minor, honestly, is, it really reveals an ignorance of scripture. Um, some, some may say that because those references are not in a connected passage that we're cherry picking and you know, putting things together here and there and making it say something that it doesn't say or whatever else. I don't agree with that, but after we get done today, you won't be able to say that because we're going to look at a passage here in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, that is a connected section of 14 verses that Paul clearly says basically everything that we've said up till now. God cares about your appearance because it reveals on the outside what you believe on the inside. This is what he says in verse number 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. 
But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. What we wear on our heads in a public church service ought to illustrate that we completely grasp the gender role that God has assigned to us. Of course, God loves everyone equally. You're there, keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 11, but turn over to Galatians chapter 3. There is no scripture passage that indicates that God loves one gender more than he loves another. He doesn't love men more than he loves women. He doesn't love women more than he loves men. There's no scripture passage that indicates that God values one gender more than another. In fact, we find the opposite in the Bible there in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 28. The Bible says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That to me says it doesn't matter what color you are, what gender you are, what race you are. Everybody is equal in God's eyes. But though each gender is equal in God's eyes and equally valued and equally loved by God, it's also true that every gender is given a different role and a different responsibility. God designed man to be the provider. In fact, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. There's a couple, couple verses in here that, that really honestly make it very clear what the roles are of men and women. And we're going to look at this a little bit deeper here in just a minute. But in 1 Timothy chapter 5, God designed man to be the provider. Verse number 8. But if any man provide not for his house, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's pretty strong language, but he's saying that's the responsibility of the man. God designed women to be the homemaker. We have just a couple verses later in verse number 14. I will, therefore, that the, younger, that, the, the, uh, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Well, God designed women to be the homemaker. God designed the man to be the provider. I recognize that in, in America's currently rebellious state against God and against the truth that we find here in the Bible and all throughout the Bible, this is, this is very, very unpopular, right? But honestly, I don't care if it's popular or not. If it's in the Bible, we ought to be talking about it. And we ought to follow what the Bible says, not what culture says. This is God's intent for a husband and wife. And we see that expanded out in Scripture all the way throughout the Bible. So it's not something that, oh, there's one passage that says the man is supposed to do this and the woman is supposed to do that. We find it all the way throughout the Bible. So tonight, with, with that as our introduction, I want to take you through 1 Corinthians 11 uh, by way of eight statements. And I know that sounds like a lot. There, there is eight statements, but they're not, they're not all that long. But I think it'll be helpful for us to look through this tonight. So go back to 1 Corinthians 11, if you will. And by way of the first statement, I'll say this. On earth, there is an order of authority. Uh, that order of authority is God, Christ, man, woman, child. 
in that order. God, Christ, man, woman, child. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, theologically, we understand that, that Jesus and God are equal, right? They're both God. They're, they're, they're co-equal. But on earth, the Son always submitted to the Father, to the will of the Father. And how many times did you see uh, Jesus doing that and, and putting himself as the lesser to the greater? And he says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, and you know this story very well, of course, Jesus was on the cross. And actually, before he went to the cross, he said, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. In heaven, they're co-equal. But Jesus made himself lower than the angels. He made himself subservient to God while he was here on this earth. And then we have this passage. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. So we have God, Christ, man, woman, child. That is the order of authority. Now, it doesn't make the son less equal than the father. It doesn't make him less loved than the father. It doesn't make him less valued than the father. It does mean that for a few earthly years, he had a specific role or a responsibility that he undertook. That role involves submission to the authority over himself. He let the Father decide on the course of action. He let uh, the timing, the, the people that were involved, the outcome, he left all of that up to the will of his Father. And even the second coming of Jesus Christ, he's left up to the will of his Father. Even the Son does not know when God is going to send him to, to, to get his children and to come back the second time for us. And that's exactly the earthly position in which we find the distinction between the genders. Men and women are of equal value, they're of equal worth, they're equally loved by God, but repeatedly in the Bible, the woman is called to submit herself to the man just the same way that the man is called to submit himself to Jesus Christ. On earth, in the home, the man has the authority over the woman. Here's the second statement, and if you will, go to 2 Samuel chapter 15 before we come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For the man, his role as an authority over the woman is publicly demonstrated by an uncovered head. And we're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 11 in just a minute. But this, is the, this is honestly the exact opposite of our American culture, right? When we remove our hats to show respect. Um, and, and, and honestly, we should do that. In biblical times, people covered their heads to show respect, to, to show submission, to show humility, to show sorrow. We see an example of that in 2 Samuel chapter 15, uh, uh, Absalom had just come in and taken over Jerusalem, and David, not willing to kill his own son, decided that he was going to flee. And so as he fled Jerusalem, we pick it up there in verse number 30, and David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up and had his head covered. And he went barefoot, and all the people that was with him covered every man his head, and they went up weeping as they went. It was showing that submission. It was showing that humility and that sorrow. Uh, I, I won't ask you to turn over there, but we see the same thing in Esther. In Esther, you have uh, Haman and you have Mordecai. And of course, they, uh, because Haman was so bitterly opposed to the Jews and to Mordecai, uh, it was utterly humiliating to him when the king told him, hey, I want you to put my robe on Mordecai and I want you to put him on my horse and I want you to be the one to lead him through the streets. And in Esther 6, verse 12, And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house, mourning and having his head covered. So a covered head is an indication of submission. An uncovered head is an indication of authority. Man is made in the image of God to exercise authority as God exercises authority. 
Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, an uncovered head on a man's part shows his grasp of this. Verse 7. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. So we say, for the man, his role as an authority over the woman is publicly demonstrated by an uncovered head. Now follow with me, because we're, we're, we're going somewhere with this. Number three, and this is a very short point, because really it's just saying the exact opposite of what we've said in number two about the woman. For the woman, her role as follower to her man is demonstrated by a covered head. So this is naturally the complete opposite of what the man does. He is in authority. She is in submission. His head is uncovered. Her head is covered. Verse 5. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Brings us to number, number 4. If a man appears before God with his head covered or a woman with her head uncovered, they're indicating a basic ignorance of or a rebellion to God's earthly order of authority. Uh, sometimes it's just ignorance. Now, ignorance is not an excuse, but sometimes the reason somebody does not do something or the reason somebody does do something is because of ignorance. They don't know any better. They've never been taught. They've never studied it. They've never learned it, whatever. So they're either ignorant of God's ordained gender roles or they are in rebellion to them, which in a lot of cases, that's the, that is the, the reason why. They're in rebellion against God in relation to those uh, gender roles. <clears throat> a man is not supposed to cover his head in church because he's representing God as an authority. And again, verse 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. A man at church stands publicly in the place of God, and so he does not represent submission. He does not re represent humility on his head by covering it. No, he leaves it uncovered. He's the leader. And his uncovered head publicly says he understands and believes that. He's demonstrating that he accepts that God has called him to be in a position of authority and in a position of, of leadership. If he does the opposite, covering his head, then the Bible said that he's shaming his own head, which is Jesus Christ. Look at verse number four. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth, dishonoreth his head. What's his head? His head is Christ. Right? So if a man, that says, a man, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth Christ, dishonoreth his head. On the other hand, a woman is not supposed to cover her head in church. That's because she's supposed to publicly symbolize with her head that she understands her position or role is one of submission to authority, to her authority, to her man. If she does the opposite and uncovers her head, then she's bringing dishonor to her authority, to her leader, to the man, verse 5, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Who's her head? Her husband. For that is even all of us as if she were shaven. All of one as if she were shaven. Brings us to number 5. This covering and uncovering refers primarily to long and short hair, although it does not forbid hats or veils in this context. And I say that because there's a lot of churches who would say that a woman has to have her head covered with a veil in church. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, not going to argue with a woman who wants to cover her head or have a head covering in church, but I don't believe that the Bible in any way instructs women to do that. Their hair is their covering. And we see that very plainly in verse number five. 
But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head unco uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Well, clearly, Paul is referring to her hair and the length of her hair. Right, and, and I think that, so I, I'm only bringing that up by way of, of making that explanation because that, that comes up a lot of times. Well, why don't we cover our heads in church? The Bible pretty clearly says that our heads should be covered. Well, I think it does say that, and it's very clear that it says that, but I think very clearly Paul is not talking about having a head covering. He's talking about having your head covered with your hair and your hair length. And it's, it makes that pretty plain there in verse number six, which brings us then to number six, short hair on a woman and long hair on a man publicly indicate either ignorance of or rebellions against, rebellion against God's earthly order of authority and his ordained gender roles. And that's kind of where we're bringing all of this to, uh, to a head, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 13. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair... It's a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. And again, that's pretty plain to me that that's exactly what Paul is talking about. Not coming and putting, you know, putting a veil on your head or, or, a, uh, or some kind of bonnet on your head or something like that. He says very plainly that it's the hair that's given to them for a covering, and it should be there as a covering. It should be long. Now, the devil loves to pervert the difference between the genders and also to tear down the gender-specific roles. And I think, honestly, one of the reasons why uh, our country is in the condition that it's in is because we have completely rebelled against everything we find in the Scripture. And one of those, very plainly, is the role of genders. Uh, this issue of dress standards is bigger than just a modesty issue. I agree with a woman who says that, uh, that they can be modest in their pants more than a woman who's in a tight or, or a short skirt. I agree with that. Uh, there are pants that are more modest than some skirts out there, depending on how tight they are, how short they are, how they're worn, and everything else. And the large majority of pants that are being produced for women are not even close to modest today. And modesty is a big part of that issue. But the issue is modesty and distinction. The issue of, of women wearing pants or skirts is not only about whether or not it's modest. That's a big part of it. But it's modesty and distinction. With, with women, the devil prompts them to be loud and bossy rather than to be meek and quiet and submissive. And that's, that's, we find that in the Bible, right? A woman is supposed to have a meek and quiet spirit. And the devil is going to tempt them to try to change and pervert those gender roles. But he's going to prompt them to, to wear their hair short and butch rather than long and, and, uh, and, and flowing and feminine. Same thing with wearing pants. He, he prompts them to wear pants rather than long, flowing and feminine clothes. And we're going to talk more about that later. But the argument now is that, well, they make, they make women's pants, so that's feminine, right? Women's pants are feminine. But even society still knows the distinction between men and women's clothing being pants for men and dresses or skirts for ladies. And you don't have to look any farther than a bathroom sign in just about any restaurant that you go to. They still, if it doesn't say men and women on it, they have a man in a pair of pants and they have a woman, a woman in a skirt, right? How many times have you heard somebody use the phrase, she definitely wears the pants in the family? Right? That's not coming from somebody that's preaching it in church. That's somebody that's, that says, hey, the man wears the pants, but obviously she's acting like the man in the home. Right? People say that often. And, that, and that, it, it, you know, listen to any secular person say that. Society is desperately trying to change the gender roles, but the gender roles are still alive and well. 
And our hair and our clothes ought to make that distinction. With women, the devil's going to prompt them to do those kind of things. With men, the devil prompts them to do the exact opposite. He's going to prompt them to be meek and quiet instead of being the authority in the home. Right? Now, you don't have to be loud and bossy and be some, you know, macho man and flexing your muscles and, you know, running around tearing stuff up just to prove that you're the boss. But you need to be the authority in your home. Right? And you need to, to stand up when your wife and your children are going against the word of God. That's your responsibility in the home. And where your children and your wife are not going in the direction that they should be going, that lands squarely on your shoulders. And again, the wife has to give that authority to the man, right? I tell my wife what to do as long as she gives me permission to tell her, right? That's, what, that's the way it works in a lot of houses. If my wife gives me permission to tell her what to do, then I'll tell her what to do. But other than that, I'm just going to kind of sit back there and I don't want to rock the boat. But listen, that's the gender role. Is it easy to always be the one that has to put your foot down? Not necessarily. For the wife, is it easy to be the one that always has to submit? Not necessarily. But that is the role that God gave. God gave the man the role of authority and he gave the, wo the, the woman and the wife the role of submission. But he's going to prompt men to wear their hair long in rebellion rather than short and in conformity with his word. That was clearly the goal during the hippie movement. Now, I wasn't alive during the 60s and the 70s, but I've looked back at a lot of it, and I see it, right? The 60s and the 70s was all about rebellion, rebellion against God, rebellion against the government, rebellion against society, rebellion against everything we could possibly rebel against. And what did all the men do? I shouldn't say all, but what did a lot of the men do? They grew their hair out, right? And they, they, they had this long, flowing hair because they were going to be rebels, why did they grow their hair out to be a rebel? Because doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? Nature. I'm going to rebel against nature too, and I'm going to grow my hair out long. Right? The devil hates God, and he wants the opposite of what God wants. It's not rocket science. Well, okay, but how long is long, and how short is short? The Bible doesn't tell us that, but my, but my answer has always been that wear your hair in such a way that it's clearly one or the other. Right? A man ought not to have hair that's going down past his collar and all that other stuff and where you could say, eh, it's kind of long, but not really that long if you're talking about a woman that has hair down the middle of her back, right? And a woman say, well, it's kind of long, but it's really not. It's kind of short and, you know, either way. But, hey, I think my standard is that for men, the hair ought to be off the collar and off the ears. And if your hair is off your collar and off your ears in that format, there really can't be any question that it's short. Uh, short hair on women, long hair on man, publicly indicate either ignorance of or rebellion against God's earthly order of authority and his ordained gender roles. That's number six. Number seven is this. The gender role concept is not to be abused by the man. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 11 and 12. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the, man is of, as the woman is of the man... Even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. God knew very well the tendency of authority to be overbearing, right? Man has a role as an authority, but his heart is still desperately wicked. And even in embracing that role, the devil can pervert the man away from servant leadership into this dictatorial, abusive leadership. And that's not the way that God intended it to be. There's, a number, there, there's just a, an unlimited number of examples of this, and that's why, I think that's why Paul balances his explanation of, of uh, and call for 
clear agenda roles by reminding uh, the man in particular of the larger picture, right? Both man and women are equally loved and equally valued before God and in the sight of God. Both need the other in order to fulfill and complete each other in a good marriage. Both are completely dependent on God, and Paul makes that very clear. Yes, God gave the man the position of authority, but there's also a lot of responsibility that comes with that authority. And it's not just, oh, you're going to answer to God for what you do in your home. That's, that's a big part of it. But you also have a responsibility to treat your wife in a loving and kind way, to give them that due benevolence, to do all of these other things that God commands us to do. So yes, you have the position of authority, but with that authority comes a whole lot of responsibility. Which brings us then to the last point. And I think Paul makes this very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 there in verse number 16. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Anyone who wants to argue about this hair covering issue is out of line. That's what Paul is saying. And that's the statement we'll make for number eight. I see this verse taken out of context all the time. Well, you fundamentalists, you know, you independent Baptists who preach about hair length are so wrong. Clearly, it doesn't matter. God, God makes it very clear that we shouldn't be arguing about this, right? Not one little bit. But to put it bluntly, honestly, that makes no sense. Paul is not saying, you know, those who disagree with him have the Christian liberty to ignore the previous 13 verses that he just took the time to, to, to lay out there in Scripture. Obviously, very clearly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was, it was not the custom of Paul to argue covering or gender role issues. It was not the custom of those in the other churches to argue the uh, customs or the coverings or the general role issue. It was settled doctrine and for very good reason. And Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, in essence, if you want to argue with me, don't even, don't even waste your breath. You know, don't waste your time. Don't waste my time. If any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Those people, and I don't, I don't think you can call them anything other than spiritually immature people that take issue with hair length for men or women, indicate either their ignorance of or their, their rebellion against these scriptural gender roles. And we, there are gender roles in the Bible. And it's very clear, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we progress through this, but I think it's very important that we understand that this whole issue is, is definitely the issue of modesty. And you ought to be modest as a woman, but there, and as a man, honestly, and I, you didn't used to have to say that because there, was not, you know, there wasn't a whole lot out there, but now you've got these guys running around in these skinny jeans and everything else, and that's about as immodest as it can be. Um, so now you, now you have to say that men and women have to be modest. It's modesty, but it's also distinction. Right? It's the same reason that you would think it awful strange if I came walking around behind the pulpit and instead of wearing a pair of pants, I had a skirt on, Right? You would think something's a little off there. You probably think I was, I was making a joke or, or, you know, just trying to be funny or something like that, right? Because men don't wear skirts, although they do now. And society is trying to make that more and more normal, right? Just because society says that, well, it's okay for women to wear pants does not mean that those gender roles and that those gender-specific things have been changed in the Word of God. Let me say this as we close. Your hair, and this is, that's specifically what we're talking about tonight, um, because this, this whole idea of standards and convictions that we're talking about is not just about dress. It's about the way that we look on the outside and the way we portray ourselves as Christians to a lost world. And our hair has a lot to do with that. And so your hair says it for you without, without saying anything audibly. That's the voice of your hair. It's the public, visible expression of your inner belief. As a man, you, you have to understand that your head, Christ, on this earth, you represent him. 
You represent your head. You're a leader in authority. You say that, that silently every time you, it's silent, but it's visible every time you come into church with your head uncovered, right? As a woman, you have to understand that you are in humble submission to your earthly head, your husband. You say this silently, but again, very visibly in the public church service with your long hair. What does your hair say publicly about you? That you understand and obey God's earthly authority and gender roles that's been assigned to you, or that you're in rebellion to him on that matter. The condition, the condition of our visible appearance is, in, is a direct indication of the state and the condition of your heart. Your outside is a revelation of your inside, and that's honestly what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks when we've, when we've discussed some of these things. It tells the world that you either agree or you disagree, you either obey or you rebel against God's authority and, 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 and God's word in the area of gender. It's modesty and it's distinction, and both of those are absolutely important when it comes to what we look like to an outside world. And if nobody else holds the line, I believe that we find that in the word of God that we should. And we ought to be doing it. We ought to be holding the line in both of those areas, modesty and distinction. Talk a little bit more about that when we get back together next time, but let's pray. And then we'll sing our song and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be here tonight. I thank you for what we find in your word. And I pray that you'd help us to diligently search the scriptures uh, to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. God, I pray that you'd help me especially not to say anything that would go against the word of God or that would be outside of the bounds of the word of God, but I pray that you'd help us to say everything that is within those bounds and follow everything that we find in the word of God. And I pray that you give us hearts of submission to your will. I pray that you give us hearts of submission to your word. And God, that we would do everything that we can to have uh, hearts that are in line with the holiness of God because it reflects the holiness that we have in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would help us to be more holy and more like you. I pray that you'd help it to be something that would help us to win a lost world to Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you give us that desire to love you above everything else, and that that love would translate into the way that we live, act, talk, speak, and everything else that we do in between. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.